So as we enter into our Lenten series, I Can't Fight This Alone, just want to do a little review of where we've been and kind of where we're going to. So the first Sunday we talked about that need for the Lord to come in and kind of take care of the plumbing, right? Because sometimes we have that spiritual constipation and the Lord just wants to come in saying, I know you're backed up. I know things aren't working right. Let me in and and set the plumbing right. And then we looked at the, the transfiguration. We looked at the need to go up the mountain. But sometimes what happens is, is we're so full of worldly projects and that kind of looks like something. So for week one, we had the plumbing. Now week two, week two, we had the need to get off the treadmill, right? The treadmill is like a symbol of us just kind of doing the same thing over and over. But the problem is while we're on the treadmill, we have a backpack on, right? And it's full of just our, our deadly sins, you know, pride, slothfulness, lust, drunkenness, you know, all those ones, and they weigh us down. But then the problem is for a lot of us, especially college students, is that we also have a wheelbarrow in front of us, and we're trying to make ends meet with money. And then we're also trying to figure out what is, your, what is my major, and careerism gets in the way. And we're just juggling that. And, but then the problem is, while we're doing that, we're also aware that we've gone to some places and we, places we should not have gone. We've done some things we should not have done, and we've trekked through some muddy places that have been harassing us, and we have these boots on, and they're full of mud. And the problem, again, is that we're on that treadmill with this, just trying to make ends meet and not working, right? And the invitation was to follow St. Therese and just say, to let go of the backpack, to let go of the wheelbarrow, to, to loosen the boots, and just to say, pick me up, Papa. So, so the Father can lift us up the mountain and show us who Jesus truly is, the only begotten Son of God. And now as we, you know, we enter in, in this week, um, just after looking at Jesus cleansing the temple, we have some of the most powerful readings ever, and they're some of the most highly debated readings ever. And as I, again, as I pray, I'm always looking for images. And, the, and, the, and as, as things are getting warmer out, I know like, it's time for like, March Madness, right? A lot of us are excited for that. We didn't get to have that last year. And whenever March Madness started, and it started getting warmer out when I was a, when I was a kid, my brothers and I would always go outside and play basketball like, for hours. And sometimes we'd play the game horse, you know, and, and we'd be playing outside, we'd get warmer out. And sometimes the ball would like, you know, hit something, and the ball would just go like, straight into the street. Or it would hit the rim a funny way and it would go straight into the street. And for just a moment, we became complete jellyfish. For those of you who are at the Seek Conference, you heard, you heard Francis Chan talk about jellyfish because jellyfish, they don't have brains, nor do they have a central nervous system. They just kind of go with the ways of the world. And as the ball would go out in the street, it was almost as if we would just take our brains out of our heads and we go running right into the street, and sometimes you'd hear the tires screech, you know, from a car, or a, a, a horn would honk, and it was just as if we forgot the whole fact that it's just a ball, right? And then also, as it got warmer out in the summertime, we'd always hear this really creepy music playing, and we'd also become completely jellyfish. It'd be like, do 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 ice cream and we go running out to the ice cream man and we just go in the house and we become little devils we become total jellyfish take our brains out of our heads and we start demanding mom and dad for money give me money give me money give me money right and it was almost as if we completely forgot the fact that we have manners uh we should probably say please and that would just totally make us just go run for this ice cream and we forgot that we had brains 
the road is like such a powerful image of the spiritual life, which is what I want to preach on today. I don't know if you had these times when you were taught kind of the, the ways of life, but one of the simplest mes- messages and, and rules of life is how do you cross the road? And I pray to God that you had a good mother and a good father, and if you didn't, I just, my heart goes out to you. But I know when my mother and father told me, when you get to the end of the driveway and you want to cross the road, first of all, you take mom's hand and you take dad's hand, right? And they would say, first, you look left. Are there any cars coming? No. And then you look right. Are there any cars coming? No. Well, now we're free to cross the road, right? And we would walk. But for some reason, for for us, we get to that age where we think, I got to do it myself. I don't need mommy and daddy's help. But the thing is, we do. (laughs) Jesus says you must become a a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we should never let go of the father's hand. We should never let go of Mary's mother's hand. Because Mary, like, raised Jesus, right? So for 30 years, she was a part of his life. So no one knows him better. He spent 10 times as much time with Mary as he did with the apostles. So Jesus is teaching us what he came to do, and Mary can help us, right? And we also know that God is our Father, that he loves us so much that he sent his only son, which I'll talk about in a second. But as for a lot of us, the problem is, for some of us, we just want to go so fast, and the encouragement is to take a deep breath. So why don't we just do that now? Take a deep breath. Slow down. And to not be so rushed to go on to the interstate. Because some of us, we 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 just want to go so fast. But the problem is when you go on an interstate, if you're driven on an interstate, there's a lot of traffic and there's a lot of bad driving. And some people have phones in their hands, right? They're going like 80, 85, sometimes even 90 miles an hour with cell phones in their hands. And then for us, the problem is, in a spiritual sense, when you and I get hooked with something that entices us, It's like there is a briefcase in the middle of the interstate. Five lanes of traffic, right? And cars are zipping, zipping, zipping. But we're like, oh, there it is. Money. Money will make me happy. And we get totally brainless. We become a total jellyfish. Or we think, you know, if I, get the, if, I get, if I get the championship in sports, that'll make me happy. So then I like, you get totally fixated on making sure I have the right body and I have the right look and, and I'm, I'm working out all the time and I get totally enticed by that and I become a total jellyfish. Or for some of us, it's lust. You know, we look at things on the internet, we can't look at women purely and we forget that we have to like not do that, but we, we get enticed and there's that briefcase in there and we just want to open it up and see what's inside of it. For some of us, it's image. You know, when I have the right clothes, or if I get the right car, or I have the right house, if I just have the right look, then I'll be happy. And I get enticed, and I get in this mode, and I totally get fixated on this briefcase, because if I open it, might, there might be like a car key in there, a free car, or like the right clothes, or whatever it is, and we get totally zoned in on it, and we say, Mom and Dad, I don't need your help. I'm going to go run into oncoming traffic on a five-lane highway, freeway, where cars are going 80 to 90 miles an hour, and people have cell phones in their hands, and they're driving like that. And we just start walking, and somehow we avoid cars. And we're walking into inc- oncoming traffic, and we start opening the briefcase, and cars are swerving around us, but then comes the big one. 
the semi, and its grill is full of skulls from people that have forgotten they had brains. And you look to your left, and it's right here, right there. And when you hear the gospel message, the invitation is to repent and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, I, I, I know this isn't going to make me happy. And when you repent, when you accept his saving gospel, he takes the brunt end of that semi to save you. And then the only response would be to be grateful for what he's done for you. But the problem is, for a lot of us, we've forgotten that he gave us a brain. We've forgotten that he wants us to be safe in his hands. And we think that we can go into oncoming traffic and mess around with these things, and, and we tell ourselves it's, it, it's not that big of a deal, right? So last week we talked about how when we say things are not a big deal, and then the question is, well, why can't you stop? Well, drinking is not a big deal, then just stop. Social media is not a big deal, well, then stop. Pornography is not a big deal, then, then again, just stop. And Jesus is just waiting to take on the devil for you and to save you and keep you safe. And again, if you've experienced his saving grace, which you cannot earn, he gives to you freely, the natural response would be gratitude and to tell everyone the rest of your life what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he desires to do for anyone. And it's also much easier, again, when we don't do it alone, when we actually have people around us who are, like, lined on the highway, willing to help people get from one side to the other safely. You know, one side of the highway is earth, the other side of the highway is heaven. And the thing is, you don't have to die to encounter the love of Jesus Christ. He wants to be with you right now. He wants eternal life in you Always, right now, every second of every day. So we're not weighed down by those briefcases and we don't forget that there is more to life than this. Because we hear in our second reading from St. Paul, he says, God who is rich in mercy, he is full of mercy, just waiting to forgive you because of the great love he had for us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were in those areas where we were playing in the middle of the highway, and we were playing with these briefcases of things that we think will make us happy, he still loved us. And we were brought to life with Christ, so by grace you have been saved. What does that mean? That means that is God's free gift to you. You can't earn it. You can't make him love you. But then the response would be to give your life away for him because God's plan for all eternity is for you to do good works. It's, for, it's to do good works. For we hear at the end of the reading, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, so you have to believe that his way is better. And if you're enslaved by just looking through these briefcases and you're getting nailed by semi after semi that the devil's demons are driving, you know, this, this gift to be saved, for Jesus to take that on for you, it's God's gift. And if someone gives you a gift, it is natural just to say, Thank you so much. But it's not from works. It's nothing we've done. So we can't boast. But then we hear the words, for we are God's handiwork, which means we are God's instruments created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance that we should live in them. 
So God's plan is that you do good deeds. And if you've been saved, if you are being saved, or if you hope to be saved in Christ Jesus, then the natural response would be to say, how can I repay you, Jesus? And he'd be like, repent. Ask for my healing. Find friends who can help you. Find those people who are being just totally taken out by that semi-truck that the devil just loves nailing people with. And for a lot of us, we know that a lot of people in our communities or on campus, they are total jellyfish, right? The ball goes out in the middle of the road and they just lose it. It gets warm out and, oh, I got to get drunk. I got to go have this party. There was a huge party right next to the Newman Center yesterday. But instead of us judging them, we prayed for them first. And I actually went over to the party <laughs> last night. And we gave them some brownies. And they're like, oh, are these special brownies? I'm like, no, of course not. But I, I just told them, find out, eat them. Um, but the whole yard was full of beer cans, right? And I was actually kind of disappointed because, like, they were only partying till 8.30 at night. I was like, you guys are done already? I was just like, because I just got back from Mass and Red Granite. And they said, yeah, we're, we're done. We've been going since noon, you know? And I'm like... Lord knows we have a lot of jellyfish on campus, people that don't know the saving message of Jesus. And people think that these things will make them happy, but they're running into oncoming traffic, and they're being taken out. And then they yell at me when they say, well, why are the cops here? What are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, you've made your choice, right? And they're living in the dark. And when you and I are living in the dark, it's easier to sin. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus as a Pharisee, somebody who knows better, but is questioning. And I think you and I, we got to get back to questioning, what difference does Jesus make, you know? Because the Father sent his only son. He didn't send Buddha. He didn't send Muhammad. He didn't send a prophet. He didn't send a president. He sent his only son, and his name is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows, and he knows that he can't come to Jesus in the light because people might say, are you really talking to that man? Are you really talking to him? So he comes to Jesus in the night, and Jesus says something that, that Nicodemus would have known very well. And he says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What does that mean? Well, in the desert, we know that people were, were sick, and Moses was asked to put a serpent on a staff and lift it up, and people, when they looked upon it, they were healed which is why when you see an ambulance, they have that on the ambulance, and it's a sign of healing is on the way. But Jesus says, just like that, same for me. So that everyone who believes, who has faith in me, might have eternal life. But again, that wants to start now, not when you die. And then we get the message where, for some reason, it has become so watered down, it's become a complete yawner, and I don't know why that is, but we hear the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. And clearly, people are perishing and dying for this saving message. The average age in the United States is not going up, it's going down because people are losing the will to life because they're perishing. Gen Z, we've talked about this before, they are, anybody pretty much 20 and younger, they are the most depressed and anxious generation to ever exist. And they're also the most anti-God, the most non-religious, the most atheistic to ever exist. 
So in the question, we have to ask ourselves, well, what, 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 what makes us different from them? Because Jesus didn't want us just to become nice people, to let people just be jellyfish and go around and float around like they don't have brains, right? Because an atheist can be a nice person, a Buddhist can be a nice person, you and I are called to live with a divine light shining through us that doesn't point to ourselves, but it points to somebody greater than us. So when we look at the cross, we see hope, we see joy, we see purpose, and we see light coming from it, to know what he's done for us by taking on that semi-truck, and he saved us, or he's trying to save us, he's trying to break through. And all he asks is that you repent and you decide to live in the light because it says Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but, he, but that the world might be saved through him. And for some reason, a lot of us condemn one another. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He, come that you, he came that you might be saved from the semi-truck, right? So you don't go walking into oncoming traffic. He wanted you to hold the hands of our divine parents so that we can know that we're not called to be condemned. We're called to be embraced. Because if Jesus is condemning you, he, he would tell you this. You're stupid. You're dumb. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're unworthy of God's love. You don't deserve to be here. Why do you even try? Just quit. But that's what the, the evil one does when he drives that semi-truck around to tell us, you're so stupid. Couldn't you beat this? You told God that it would be your last time, right? But no. If we don't believe that God has a better plan for us, we condemn ourselves, and the devil just loves that. But if you believe in the name of Jesus and the power that he evokes, you begin to live in the light. And you realize how empty the briefcase is, so to speak, and what is the verdict? Our gospel says the verdict is that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light so that his works might not be exposed. If you love Jesus, then you want people to know that he's the one prompting you through his spirit to do good works. Why are you so kind? Because of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Father. No, all the glory to God. Why are you better instead of being bitter? Because he took on the semi-truck for me. Let me tell you about what he has done for me. Because if you live in the truth, who is a person and his name is Jesus Christ, you move towards the light. And he alleviates all your burdens so that your works may be clearly seen as done in God. Maybe we should take a moment and look at the cross. So why don't we? So when you look at the cross and you look at Jesus, who had to be lifted up on high according to the gospel, so that you may believe that you are so loved, that you are worth dying for, that he would take on a million, bajillion, gazillion semis for you because he'd rather spend eternity with you than without you. And the Father so loved you, which is his world. You are the world of the Father. You are the apple of his eye. 
that he sent his only son to save you from all of those empty places that you and I go to that just won't fill that hole in your heart. And his arms are open to embrace you. His feet are nailed in obedience to show you the Father's love. And his head is bowing down because he does not want to condemn you, but he wants to kiss you so that you can know that you are loved. You are beautiful. You are wanted. You are desirable. You are worthy. And every time we come to Mass, we need to be reminded of that, which is why we have a crucifix in all of our worship spaces, not to condemn us, but to know that the Gospel said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted high, so that you can know that His grace desires to save you every second of every day. And the natural response to that would be to, be to say, thank you. You know, would you rather have me tell you lies to make you comfortable or to tell you the truth in knowing it might hurt you? Would you rather have me tell you lies knowing it might make you comfortable or would you rather have me tell you the truth knowing it might hurt you? Jesus is the only way. He is the only life that will set us free. He is the truth that your heart was made for. So you can thank him for giving you a brain. You can thank him for his saving action so that you can stop going out and playing in the middle of an interstate and you can take the hands of the mother and of the father and say, I would rather be here, and look left, and look right, and make sure it's safe so I can cross to the other side, which is heaven. And if you have said, hey, no, I want to go to the briefcase, and you're sorry, there's an invitation to go to confession. There's an invitation to repent. There's an invitation to thank him and praise him for his saving grace. You all know the song. What does the song say? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And that amazing grace wants to tell you for all eternity, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he proves his love for us at every mass. And every time we go to that briefcase, he says, don't take it, put it on the altar, and literally ask me to bless the hell out of it so I may show you how empty it is and I may, sh I may show you how full my love is in the Eucharist, in my word, in my sacraments. So I can remind you and you can remind others through your life that I am worth dying for. Amen.